Hello there, Alan Weiss, and this time with a very uncomfortable truth. I want to talk about this aspect, this notion, this <laughs> approach of making America great again. Now, let me say to you right now, this is a nonpartisan podcast. This is not a Republican or a Democratic podcast, neither left nor right, up nor down. I just want to make some points. For example, the question is, were we, are we, great? Well, Obama didn't believe in American exceptionalism. He said as much. And he went around the world on what many people call an apology tour, telling people that he was sorry for everything we've done. Trump thinks we have to regain it. We have to make America great again. And Cuomo up in New York, who's, going to run for, who's running for governor again and is going to be elected because he's running against an actress, Cynthia Nixon, who's woefully pathetic in terms of her experience in politics. He's got like a 7,000-point lead. He doesn't care what he says. So Cuomo says, we were never great. Cut it out. So here we are. So what does that all mean, really? Well, the government doesn't make us great, folks. It's not the government or anything the government does that makes us great. I've said before in this series the United States government, our means of governing, was created by geniuses to be run by idiots. And I think we've seen stark examples of that over the past decades. So it's not actions, it's beliefs and value that create greatness. And I'm saying that with air quotes. Greatness means different things to different folks. To me, it certainly doesn't mean perfection. You can be extraordinarily good and not be perfect. I know no one who is perfect. And my definition of culture is it's that set of beliefs which governs behavior. So a school system, an organization, a community group, they can all have a culture because they have values which govern their behavior. Not always good, but that's to me what culture is. They're not some artifacts buried in the ground. Those are just remnants of a culture. So if you look at the United States, you can make a case that we've been very generous. After World War II, when we defeated uh, our enemies on a two-ocean war, we launched the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe and made Germany into one of our very staunchest allies. We allowed the Japanese emperor, Hirohito, to remain on the throne, and we invested heavily in Japan until they became uh, a competitor of ours economically and, again, a staunch ally. And today they're the third greatest economic power in the world, and Germany is the greatest economic power in Europe. Our foreign aid has been huge. The foreign aid always hasn't been used wisely, but the intent was to help people. For example... We often gave agricultural aid to countries which undermined the indigenous farming population. And so the farmers went out of business and the country became dependent on our aid. That's not smart, and, but that's what we did inadvertently. We share our advances. We share our technology and our health advances. One of my favorite stories, because Merck Pharmaceuticals was a client of mine for a long time, is that they were working on a drug which failed. They had invested hundreds of millions of dollars and the drug didn't work. However, an interesting offshoot was the drug happened to cure African river blindness. That wasn't its intent, but nonetheless, it cured African river blindness. And so Merck contributed the drug to African nations, free, no charge. 
And African river blindness, which was a scourge, has been completely eliminated. American companies, American government, American people tend to do that. We've provided common protection for people. In NATO, in what used to be CETO, in NORAD, in a variety of ways, because we have the wealth and the ingenuity and the technology to do it, we've protected what's euphemistically called the free world. So we've been bullies at times, and we've been bigots at times. No question about that. The Mexican-American War was a horrible piece of work. Shouldn't have been engaged in it, no matter what was going on in Mexico. And we stole a great deal of property. The Gadsden Purchase was a, was a sham. Racism has been prevalent in the United States for too long. It's been prevalent in varying degrees, but it's still too much a part of society. And we see it manifest in hidden biases as well. And it's got to be eliminated, extirpated. We've engaged in wars that were horrible, like Vietnam. I got out of college in the teeth of the Vietnam War, and I nearly went over. My brother-in-law did. We've been engaged in homophobia. We've been engaged in prejudice against people with differing sexual identities and needs. There's been virulent anti-Semitism in the United States. It used to be from a Catholic priest on the radio, accepted on the airwaves. And even today we see it, often entrenched. You know, there's a, in the conservative right, I said this is a nonpartisan broadcast. In the, in the arch-right wing, you see open anti-Semitism. Epithets and writing and speeches that are anti-Semitic. But on the extreme left, what you see is institutionalized anti-Semitism, where it's become almost uh, de rigueur. It's become um, acceptable to be anti-Semitic. And if you don't believe that, just listen to some of the professors in the colleges. Listen to some of the people in the media. And we've been very uneven about immigration. We're a country of immigrants. And we're not serious about immigration. That is, we're not serious about creating rules and regulations and intelligent approaches so that people seeking freedom can come here and the Statue of Liberty means what it says. We also, though, tend to air our dirty laundry, don't we? There are open protests in the streets and they're not encountered by tanks. And when there is an overreaction, as at the Democratic uh, National Convention years and years ago, in Chicago, when Daly brought out the riot troops, it makes the media, and people are ashamed. The National Guard at Kent State University, it makes the media, and people are ashamed. In fact, the Vietnam War, which I spoke about a couple of minutes ago, was stopped, and Lyndon Johnson decided not to run. Lyndon Johnson decided not to run for president again because of the protests in the streets and the protests in the colleges. We have a history of protest. We have a free media. Too often today it's slanted, and one station is liberal and one station is conservative, but nonetheless, we have a free media. We have open politics to the point that <laughs> dirty laundry is easily exposed. We have judicial resolutions to things. Even at, in the Bush-Gore election at the very end, when it came down to one vote on the Supreme Court at the very end, no tanks in the streets, and people abiding by the outcome. We have congressional investigations. And when we had somebody like McCarthy, the House Un-American Activities Committee, which was a horror show, Eisenhower managed to shut him down. 
And so we do react to our flaws and we do it boldly. We do it openly. We enact new laws when we have to. So we're not perfect, but we try. Now I'm going to tell you what makes America great. It's us. And it's also us who make America not so great. The other day, my wife went to New York with our grandchildren, meeting my daughter down there. They saw SpongeBob, SquarePants, or whatever it is, the musical, and they did a lot of cool things. My wife got on the Acela up here first class with the girls. And on the Acela first class, there are two areas that have a table for four, and they're for families. And since this train begins in Boston, and when it gets to Providence, it already has people on it, the train wasn't filled, but each of these two tables had one person at it. Just one person at a four-seat table, because I like to spread out their work. And when the crew member asked, in first class, if they would move to one of the open seats so my wife and my grandchildren could sit together, they both refused. Now, there's no way that person could physically move them. There's no cop on the train, and they're not going to stop the train for the police to come. But that's what makes America ungreat. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. Have you ever tried to cross against traffic? when you have to make a left against the oncoming traffic and only one in 20 people will stop to let you in? I try always to stop and let people in because that's just a sign of grace and it only takes 12 seconds. But people don't want to do it. They don't want to hold the door for you. So as we've grown powerful and wealthy, we've become very self-centered and selfish and self-absorbed as well, many of us. And the problem is, every grievance, no matter how minor, has to be thrust today in everyone's face all the time. People actually have an expectation that every one of their grievances has to be in front of others and supported by others all the day, all the time, all the way. Churches, which used to provide ethical guidance and the right thing to do, have been scandalized. Child molestation in the Catholic Church, it's heinous. Schools where you used to learn the rules and the social mores and history have become politicized by professors with agendas. They don't get to their subject matter until you're indoctrinated enough in their political orientation, which is usually on the far left. Dinner tables where you could sit and hear your parents talk about issues of the day, even if they weren't resolved, but hear how they were spoken about have disappeared. Broken homes, single parent families, or two parent families too busy to sit with the kids at dinner, or the kids too busy playing video games or in extracurricular activities. The churches, the schools, and dinner tables, they failed us now. They used to be repositories of learning and ethics and values. Parents once backed teachers. You came home, you complained about your teacher, your parents said, shut up and do what he says, do what she says. Teachers were respected. Now the parents go in and take the kids' side. The parents want less homework for their kids. They want to coddle their kids and they don't want to get involved in the homework themselves. They got other things to do. A kid complains and a parent makes a charge against a teacher. He wants them removed, doesn't like their methods. Why? So the kids can play more video games. So they don't have to study as hard. I'll ask you a question here, which of course is rhetorical on a podcast, but think about it. Could the United States win World War II again? 
I'm not talking about a war today from space. I'm not talking about a war today of intercontinental missiles. I mean a war in which the home front had a sacrifice. I mean where materials were rare. Gasoline and steel and tin and nylons, all of these things were rare or rationed. You had to keep your lights down on the coasts. Could we win that war again where the home front, the civilians, had a sacrifice? Can you imagine? Ted Williams, the great ball player, spent four years as a pilot. Still one of the greats of all time. Record stream behind him. But he took four years out to serve as a pilot, I believe, um, in World War II. It might have been the Korean War. But, I, but in any case, he took the time out. Can you imagine star football, basketball, baseball players today taking two or three years out of their lives to serve in the military instead of making their multi-millions? It's happened so rarely, you can think of just a couple of guys who have done it. I think Rocky Blyer was one. Only Americans can make America great. Not the government, not the media, not the schools. Only each of us can make America great through selflessness, through sharing, through understanding, tolerance, and forgiveness. Christian values, by the way, Another thing that's killed us in terms of greatness is political correctness. The striving to include everybody all the time, no matter what the issue is. I don't mind. I don't care. I respect what your beliefs are. And your background and your color and your ethnicity and your sexual orientation and preferences and and identity. I respect it as I expect you would respect me. But I don't need to hear about it all the time, all day, if I ask you how the weather is or who won the game last night. We need to end polarization and increase respect. Greatness doesn't come from fracturing. Greatness comes from synthesis. We all get the kind of government we deserve, folks, and we get the kind of country we deserve. And so... You can blame no one but yourself. If you like the country, you don't. If you think it's great or you don't. It's all of our decisions. In the last general election, 40 million eligible people didn't vote. To me, my belief is they have no right to complain about a thing. And the rest of us who voted might not be happy. We should stop complaining and start doing positive things to create change. That's what greatness is about, not whining but fixing and improving. I'm sorry, that's the uncomfortable truth. 